We look at the history of translations from the 50s through to today and how they have changed, why they have changed, how then they have been influenced. You're listening to Good Faith Weekly. I'm Mitch Randall. And I'm Missy Randall. We're here each week exploring the intersection of faith and culture. We find people who stand up, speak out, and step forward. For inclusion, freedom, and justice for all. It's time for Good Faith Weekly. Brought to you by Good Faith Media. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Missy and I celebrate our 200th episode of Good Faith Weekly. And then later on the pod, we sat down with documentarian Rocky Roggio, who has a brand new film out entitled 1946. It is a fascinating conversation about the mistranslation of the Bible when it comes to LGBTQ inclusion. It is a great episode you're not going to want to miss. So happy 200th episode. Hello there, Missy. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. Guess what? What? It's our 200th episode. Congratulations. We survived. (laughs) You did survive. I have to admit that I am both not surprised and surprised at the same time. I am so surprised, and this is a great segue into... Well, let me tell you why I'm not surprised first. Okay. I'm not surprised that we've reached 200 episodes. Okay. Because, I mean, we've talked to some great people, great content all along the way. I am surprised that we're still married. (laughs) That is very true. Again, a great segue into my first question... Which is multiple choice. Oh, geez. This is a quiz? <laughs> no. The 200 quiz? No. <laughs> okay. This is just one question. All right. Because as, as the listeners know, as you know, we missed a week. We did miss a week. We missed. We're sorry. It's been two weeks since our listeners have heard from us. So we're going to have a little multiple choice question as to why we went MIA for two weeks. <laughs> okay. So here you go. Is the answer that A... The GFM staff met together in Dallas for a staff retreat to do some dreaming and scheming for the future, which, of course, had us, you know, tied up so we couldn't record and couldn't edit. Okay, that's A. Mm -hmm. B, our magician slash media producer slash editor, Cliff, decided he needed to one-up my appendectomy story and suffered through a burst appendix resulting in emergency surgery and subsequent recovery. I know Cliff. He's too nice to do that to you. So. Right. Okay. okay. Or C, the host had to be sent to separate pod corners for a couple of weeks following the last <laughs> ding, episode's ding, intro ding. recording sesh. <laughs> I'm going to go with C. D, all of the above. <laughs> what do you think? Oh, my goodness. Well, what do you think our listeners will say? I mean, D, D clearly. Yeah. Um, so, yes. You guys, um, several things have happened in the last couple of weeks. Yes, we were planning to take a week off because of our staff retreat. Which was fabulous which was in fantastic. Big D. We yep. are super excited for the future of things we have going on at Good Faith Media. But in conjunction with that, yes, Cliff had a medical emergency. Aww. Hashtag thoughts and prayers. Um, <laughs> he is on the mend. But it was it was a little dicey there. And we, yeah, we were very concerned yeah. for Cliff. Um, but he rallied, made it through, and right. he's on the mend. But also, recording the last episode is such a great, um, I guess, 
jumping off point to our conversation today for our 200th episode of a behind the scenes look at <laughs> what oh, happened. Um, so here's the story. We started to record the intro for the last episode. Correct. And I believe there were no fewer than eight or 10. Oh no, there had to be 20 takes. Takes. <laughs> so here's what happens. We discuss ahead of time kind of what we want to do a little bit in the intro. I then, you have told me, write a script in my head. Yes, you do. It's beautifully written in your head. In my head it is. <laughs> the problem comes in that you don't follow it. Yes. You forget to share it with everybody else <laughs> besides all the other voices in your head. But if I share it with you, then it's not fresh. That's true. So... In any case, <laughs> after all of that, there was one take in which, yes, it got dicey because we turned off the record. Because button. we had a great opening. I mean, just a great opening. So I turned, or you turned off the recording. Yes. We were both very frustrated. And one of us more than another. <laughs> and I made the comment. I said, well, I said whatever line it was, or I said something, you know, and, and you didn't laugh. <laughs> And you retorted very innocently, well, I was waiting for you to say something funny. <laughs> Still waiting. And at that point, I called the divorce attorney. Because, <laughs> because in your head, it was so funny. Because, yes. Because you are the funniest person you've ever I met. I know. I'm the funniest person I know. So anyways, that was... That was very problematic. Yeah. We made it through. We did. Um, but anyway, so this is our... 200th episode. episode yes. yes. The plan was to take a, a week in between because we had things going on. Right. But obviously other life events happened um, that were unplanned that led us here. And so in talking about some of the behind the scenes stuff that goes on, I was thinking about the podcast and some of the questions we get as we travel around and people, you know, ask, how do we do this? Right. You know, how does it come to be? And I started to think about it as, again, in light of the fact that we've had two weeks in our separate pod corners, which sure. I think has been a great thing It is <laughs> for our marriage, at least. Um, it's kind of like Christmas. And I will explain. Okay, please do. Because again, <laughs> the script in your head has not been given to me. Right. You guys, this is why I would be a terrible preacher. Because my analogies <laughs> sometimes make little sense, but like an hour to get there. Um, so I was thinking about as, as you prepare, if you're the person who's hosting Christmas, yes. at some point you're thinking, why am I doing this? Right. This is miserable. It's It's stressful. I feel like as, as you and I try to um, navigate hosting this, sometimes it's just, it is stressful. But you get to that moment, and when all is said and done, you're wrapping gifts, and you see people open the gifts. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, after it's all said and done, you think, that was so much fun. Let's do it again. Right. I mean, we, it's kind of like the analogy of we buy the gift and then we, f you know, we forget it or we think it's not a very good gift. And then Cliff comes along and wraps it in beautiful paper. It's a gorgeous oh, bow man. on it. <laughs> you just, you just, you're following the script. Yay. Okay. So where I was going with this, like as, as an added um, vignette to the story yes. is that, you know, you have some, some weeks, we have a gift that's in a perfect box. Right. We send it over to Cliff and to Callie. 
you know, who help us out. Yeah. And it's very easy to wrap and put a bow on it and it looks beautiful. Yeah. Some weeks we send them the action figure. <laughs> and you know, that's not in a box and there's no good way to wrap it. <laughs> but somehow they manage. They do. Between the two of them. Yeah. Cliff wraps it and then Kelly does a great job putting a nice sweet note. On I, I do, the, they do. And so I just thought job. that's just the way I'm thinking of this now is that, you know, whatever we send them, hopefully when people open the gift, they'll be glad to get it, which, which I guess at the end of the day, what I'm saying is you and I are a gift. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought of that right now. <laughs> is that presumptuous? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. I though. feel like it's genius, whether it's true or not. Yeah, absolutely. That'll preach, right? That will preach. Okay. That will preach. So that's my little look at behind the scenes. So what yeah. are your thoughts on the behind the scenes here that we are now that we're at 200 episodes? Well, first of all, I cannot believe it's been 200 episodes. Uh, you know, again, you and I were talking uh, as we were thinking about uh, this particular episode. And just to think 200 episodes ago when we started. Uh, just to remind the listeners, we launched during the height of the pandemic. Well, really, because of the pandemic. Yes, because everything had shut down. Uh, we had not, you know, we couldn't travel anywhere. We couldn't do any kind of video productions that we were, you know, commonly doing back then. And so we quickly shifted to podcasting, mainly to two things: keep in contact with our uh, our followers and readers and everybody who supports Good Faith Media. But at the same time, to keep people informed with what was going on with the pandemic. And one of our great guests back then was Dr. Amber Schmidtke, mm -hmm. who was an epidemiologist. She kept us informed about what was going on, uh, you know, about the virus, how to react to it. And then the, mm -hmm. the vaccine comes along and she, you know, again, gave great information. But it was just a, a great tool of communication between us and those people who were supportive of our work here at Good Faith Media. And I think we forget how much information and science was changing yeah. so rapidly at so that time. So rapidly, because I mean, we did two episodes a week. Can you imagine I, I, that? No, no. One, one. if if I, no, no. <laughs> that would not be a good thing for no. you and I to do. But yeah. but yeah, it was, that was how rapidly things were changing. And now, I mean, we can go into a whole sidebar about how Americans have very short memories because now that seems inconceivable that you would feel a need to record twice a week because that's how quickly things were yeah. changing. And, you know, our co-host at the time, Autumn Lockett, uh, who worked for Good Faith Media, I mean, she was very instrumental in, you know, encouraging us to do this, to get this information out. And mm -hmm. so, you know, give her so many props for, for encouraging us to do this. It's really become a mainstay of the offerings at Good Faith Media. Uh, and so, you know, we were there two times a week for a period of time getting that information out. And uh, it was just, it was good for me because I felt like I was having conversations. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was having conversations and people were listening in on that. And something that I needed personally and hopefully our listeners enjoyed at the same time. And then it's evolved into what it is today. And I just, as again, as we were talking about this, Missy, think about the amazing people we have talked to over these 200 episodes. I just, I can't. 
I'm just stunned. I think it's hysterical that you have no fear. No fear. <laughs> in approaching people to be on the podcast. We have talked to people, like you were saying before we went lot, went to recording, is that we just can't believe the people that we have been able to interact with, to build relationships with, to talk to in this podcast. And I always, I mean, I laugh. I tell people, like, you will ask and, like, you will boldly say, will you come on our podcast? I am still waiting for and Michelle Obama. To I, st- I was going to say that. Nine <laughs> times out of ten, nine point nine times out of ten. 10 authors or or people are are wonderful. They're like, yes, of course I'll come on. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, the only person that has not responded, you guys, is Michelle Obama. So Michelle, if you're listening, invitation's still open. If anybody has (laughs) contact with Michelle Obama, we would love to speak with her. Yes. Um, But through that, just meeting amazing people. And, And I do want to say, as I was making some notes and we were talking about some memories earlier today that, um, you know, I do want to say, and I do tell people in person when we uh, in particular interview an author and we promote and tout their book, we read these books. Yeah, we actually do read them, I mean, yeah. that's one thing that I think, um, sometimes authors maybe are a little taken aback by because we do feel like if we're going to interview an author, we respect them. We respect their time and their work and we do invest the time into reading their books. And so when we say we recommend this book, we hundred percent back that. And I think that's something that's different about us in terms of when an author's trying to promote their sure. work. And, and so just, you know, some of those that, that we were talking about, you know, I, I was I was making a list of some of my early experiences because again I joined last August. I don't remember. No, August twenty twenty two. Really? Yes. Oh. Wanda Kidd was your first interview. Oh, she's lovely. She's we had lunch lovely. with her last we week. Did. It was so fun. <laughs> but you know, um, another one that, that one of my first interviews was Willie Francois oh, talking about his book White Noise that I I loved and decided to listen to while I painted my office mm-hmm. and I chided him because I said I I was listening to it on Audible but I kept having to climb down the ladder to make a note of quotes <laughs> because that book right. was so fantastic sure. and I learned at that point that my interview style is to basically quote back at the author things they've already written. <laughs> and I've worked hard to try to change uh, that, sure. but it's hard when we re- we interview brilliant people and yeah. you just you want to say, "Hey, you said this," right? And then, like, I don't know, I don't know what I'm waiting for, but yeah. but they're just brilliant. They're they're absolutely brilliant, and not only have we interviewed numerous authors, and I don't even want to begin to list them because I know I'm going to forget somebody, but just some remarkable authors that have produced incredible books, but also really timely guests have come on the show. And I think about Rabbi Rachel Ain, who was a guest uh, on our show at one point. She came on uh, the show and talked about the theological reasoning uh, for uh, reproductive care and abortion care. Mm -hmm. And this was after the Dobbs decision. And she just did a brilliant job Mm -hmm. laying that out and for those of us who are christian and have grown up kind of in the evangelical world we've only heard one narrative one narrative but hearing this from a jewish rabbi was just astounding right and then you know more recently um after the war in israel and uh and gaza broke out we had our dear friend imam Imad and Chauncey on, and he talked about the loss of life in his own family, and it humanized what was going on right. 
you know, over in that region and, and still going on today. And so we've had these numerous guests on here talking about timely, uh, uh, timely issues, incredible books. And I just want to say this. We hear a lot of bad things in the world. We hear a lot of negativity that easily brings us down. Mm-hmm. Doing this podcast is a reminder that in all of the darkness and messiness that we see in the world, there are people who are fighting for justice and attempting to bring light into the world. And I am reminded of Dr. King's quote, that the only thing that can conquer darkness is light. And as far as I'm concerned, we have interviewed 200 pieces of light that are breaking through that darkness. We have. And so I I think that brings us to a great time to say that we had teased that this 200th episode would just be you and me. And as much as I'm confident the listeners are loving listening to just (laughs) you and me, because of all the A, B, C, and D things I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. we um, actually had a guest scheduled yeah. for this episode um, that we decided to go ahead and run with because for many reasons, but one, if anyone is worthy of being our 200th episode guest, it is this person. And that is Rocky Roggio, who directed the documentary 1946, The Mistranslation That Changed or That Shifted Culture. And we we toyed around with like adjusting our schedule again because of all these life circumstances and, and doing it next week or whatever. And we decided, you know what, she is worthy of of this this number of episode. This film was fantastic. Um, because there's so many layers to this documentary that we talk about in the interview. Right. That obviously it is about LGBTQ uh, uh, exclusion by the Mm -hmm. church caused by a mistranslation and why that needed to be changed. Uh, And so we have this wonderful conversation, but even more so it's about the seriousness of taking scripture seriously, not literally, but seriously. Ooh, I love that. And there's a difference between the two. No, I did not. (laughs) I wish I had. But that's that's a great way to put it. And so it's a great conversation. And so uh, we hope you enjoy the interview with Rocky Roggio. And then we've got a lot to say afterwards. Absolutely. I have some thoughts. Absolutely. Stay tuned. (laughs) I've always been struck by the scriptures we avoid reading, the stories we don't want to tell in church. I'm Brett Harrison. That's what You've Never Read This, a new series from God Knows Where, is all about. We'll read from prophets and histories we've hidden from ourselves, even words of wisdom and warning from Jesus that we've likely never heard. As with everything we do here, God knows where this will lead us, but I hope you'll join me. Find God Knows Where on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got a very special guest with us. Rocky Roggio is an independent filmmaker and production designer. Rocky is also a member of the LGBTQIA plus community and moved out of her home after coming out to her conservative religious parents. Rocky's father, Sal Roggio, is a non-affirming pastor and preaches that the LGBTQI plus lifestyle is sinful. Rocky is the director of a new documentary, 1946, the mistranslation that shifted culture. The film is a feature documentary 
documentary that follows the story of tireless researchers who trace the origins of the anti-gay movement among Christians to a grave mistranslation of the Bible in 1946. Rocky, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, Rocky, I'm one so excited that you managed to squeeze in some time for us today. Um, I want to say that I, when I met you last September, I knew I did not know about the film. Um, I we happened to be kind of exhibiting next to one another at an event, and I felt an immediate connection to you because we were both frantically trying to chase down printed materials, <laughs> which is something you frequently do when you're exhibiting and on the road. Um, so anyways, just really had a great time with spending time with you. So before we get too far into the film itself, I just thought I would give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell a little, a little bit about your background and how your passion for this project developed. Sure. Uh, Sharon Rocky Roggio. I am a film director now, but I've been in the film industry, as Mitch mentioned, as a production designer and uh, property master and other production management type roles for many years. And so having that background, but also then my background as an LGBTQ Christian growing up in the church with a non-denominational father, I think I have been unknowingly preparing for this moment in my life where I'm able to combine my questioning for the religion that I grew up in and some of the things I was that just didn't seem or feel like a gospel message when you're talking about these themes of social justice versus biblical ideology, right? And what does a biblical mean to be biblical? And so questioning that and now combining my love for film and storytelling, I felt that this was a perfect medium to share this story with with everyone. And so I found myself doing a documentary, which I never thought I would do documentary (laughs) work ever. Uh, For anyone out there who's ever worked in the film industry or in media at all, it's there are many challenges and many different things to learn and working in major motion picture and then switching from, okay, I'm going to do a documentary was uh, something that I uh, underestimated. It's very difficult, but I'm so grateful for the outcome and the film and to be able to share it with people. You were well prepared to take on this role. I mean, to say you hadn't done documentary work before, I mean, it's it's beautiful. So mm-hmm. I, I'm so glad that you found this project and, and put it out there for us. I do feel like I'm kind of the last one Anytime I'd mentioned to somebody that I had met you in, in the documentary, it seemed like everybody else knew what I was talking about and just clamored, how can we see it? You know, that was always the first thing people would ask. So it was, it's, it's so great. Yeah, well, yeah, a matter of fact, we were, we're off uh, off-site right now, and uh, we're in another location in Dallas, Texas. And the pastor who led us up to this room that we're recording this interview in, we told him who we were interviewing and the documentary. And he had heard about 1946, and so we had a delightful conversation about it. So, Rocky, know a little bit more. We know a little bit more about you now, but set the stage for us uh, because we've got a lot of our listeners may have heard of 1946. Some may have even seen it, but I'm guessing a majority of our listeners have not seen the film yet. So, can you just set the stage for our conversation today? Yeah. So, 1946, uh, the mistranslation that shifted culture follows two researchers who were the first to ask the question, who made this decision and why, to put the word homosexual in the Bible. And anybody who grew up in the church and maybe LGBTQIA and hear those themes of homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God and all that other rhetoric that goes along with it, 
there always had, for me at least, been felt something that was off. Like with this idea of why would a homosexual not be able to inherit these wonderful things from God? And so um, coming across the mistranslation and the work of Kathy and Ed, who were the first to ask this question, were able to delve into the archives at Yale University and discover the answer. Was it theological? Was it cultural? Was it uh, ideological? And those were the questions that we wanted to answer in the film. But how do we then now, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen the film, the Bible was mistranslated. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> are, you, are you telling me that Jesus himself did not put that word in the Bible? Because... Well, Jesus didn't put anything in the Bible. Oh, exactly. wait, wait, you can't. Right. You, yeah. Yeah. You're messing you know? with her Southern you, Baptist uh, That's upbringing. right, that's right. <laughs> the red letters are suggested Jesus is, is, you know, but that's a whole other thing. But, but yeah, so, you know, we examine not only how this word was put into homosexual, uh, it put, the homosexual was put into the Bible mm -hmm. and how it was mistranslated, but how did we get our English Bibles that we have today, which is one separates our film from another film, which are the many wonderful films that deal with homophobia in the church. Right. But as we're dealing with translation and we're dealing with humanity and we're dealing with people and we're dealing with language, we, we understand, we all understand the telephone game and we have to know that it applies to the Bible. So me as the director of this film, wanting to create a conversation and with my parents on this exploration, wanting to design a film with empathy and grace and not a I'm right, you're wrong, it's us versus them. How do we talk about, hey, y'all from our Southern Baptist roots or wherever you may come from, the Bible was mistranslated. And so we didn't want to pull the rug out from underneath anybody. We really wanted to just take on a journey to follow Kathy and Ed to Yale University and go on this Da Vinci Code discovery with us to, to really dig into the archives to get right. to how this mistranslation did impact our future. And then what we do is we look at the history of translations from the 50s through to today and how they have changed, why they have changed, how then they have been influenced, which you can see through the footnotes and other ways you can investigate to see who's putting together these Bibles, who are, who's on the right. committee, do they have an agenda behind it, you know, and what, do, what is that goal, that rhetorical goal with the, the text to be able to put out into society. So there are ways to look at the Bible, and the Bible is meant to be used for good, and we see how oftentimes it's not been used for good, and these, this is one of those times. So you've mentioned a couple of times now Kathy and Ed. Uh, can you just uh, real quickly uh, give us uh, their identity as researchers in the film? Sure. Kathy Bulldog and Ed Oxford are the two people who asked the question to who put the word homosexual in the Bible and why. Kathy Bulldog is an author and an LGBTQ activist who became an activist through a relationship with a friend who is LGBTQ and just asked the question, well, I love my gay friend, why wouldn't God love my gay friend? Started to do the work and does a historical exploration on 2,000 years of human sexuality seen through the Bible, but also seen through what's going on in society and culture and medicine in psychology and in, in all of these different sciences and, and social sciences and medical sciences that correspond with our understanding of heterosexual and homosexual so that we are able to be honest in our interpretation as we read the Bible today. So we're not superimposing our ideas of what a homosexual is to the past. So that was her first original work. So she was the one who discovered the 1946 RSV homosexual in the Bible. 
So Ed is an LGBTQ Christian and was at one of Kathy's seminars many years ago in 2016 and heard her mention the 1946 mistranslation. And he was like, what? That, how, how is that possible that the word homosexual wasn't in the Bible until 1946? So he started to buy old Bibles, lexicons, dictionaries to really get to the bottom of it, to answer the question for himself, how to be able to identify he's a gay man. He can't pray the way he tried that for years. And he has suicidal ideation all his life. He's trying to honor God. So he goes on his own exploration. And he was the one that discovered then that all of the archives for the RSB were at Yale University. So he calls Kathy. Kathy's like, I'm going with you. And boom, they're on this journey. And they were at Yale just documenting, doing their own research. And that's the stuff that we actually see in the film, which is a beautiful part of the film where we organically see them discovering this information. Yeah. So there are lay people who really just through their own relationship and experience wanted to seek the truth behind this matter. So that was the heart and soul of the story. Now what they discovered in the letters was a, a, a person called David who challenged the translation committee, which is why we have this historical doc, these historical documents that show us that this was a mistranslation and then be able to, we can trace the history from there. And so they were able to find David and about two months after they found David, it took them nine months to find him through some very deep digging and, and good investigating to find this man who's now 89 years old, living in Canada, who challenged the translation committee in 1959, who's a retired minister from the United Church of Canada. So now I'm sitting live listening to <laughs> Kathy and Ed tell this story. I only knew about Kathy's first book and her right. work. I didn't know about the 1946. So when I was in that conference with my mom and dad and being a filmmaker, I'm like, we have to tell you a documentary on this. Yeah. Like this man mm -hmm. is an amazing man who wrote this letter. He's alive. He's a retired pastor. And this shows that this is not my opinion. This isn't my feelings. This is a tangible mistake that we can trace. Mm -hmm. And if we can build a conversation around that, how can we then, even if we don't agree to relationship with one another, at least get to a place where people can break down and understand that the way that the Bible is used right now in society, when it comes to the LGBTQ community, it, it's been weaponized. Mm -hmm. And that needs to be broken down. And that was one right? of the things I really liked about the film was the correspondence between David and the committee. Um, it seemed to be very raw, very genuine, very honest, and even an admission by the committee itself, which was fascinating. Yeah, they were honorable men who really, from what we can delve from the notes, mm -hmm. had intentions of doing what was right, what was honorable, and what was godly in their eyes. And that's what the notes represented. Now, Kathy, of course, will admit when she went in, she, like many other people, would be like, you know, they put that word in there on purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, they they were going to get those dirty homosexuals. You know, I'm using right. quotations mm -hmm. for our podcast purposes here. <laughs> And uh, they were incorrect in that manner. Yeah. And we don't see malice until the 80s. We see malice when it becomes politicized, when people turned this, now they have it in black and white. It's easy to, to point the finger at gay people who are trying to get their rights in society. And as soon as the American Psychiatric Association declassified homosexuality and homosexuals from being mentally ill, mm -hmm. that's when we see the church doubling down and turning this issue into a moral issue. Prior to the 1970s, 
this would have been considered a medical issue. You need to go see a psychiatrist and it would be dealt with in different ways. And we can see how the church continues to move the goalposts, not only on LGBTQ issues, but on women's rights and the like. The church does love a good villain. The church I mean... loves a good villain. It's really not funny. Right. Um, but yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, tragic yeah, point. Okay. But there's so much of what you said, or, you know, earlier when you're talking about how we we have to come to a point where we're not bringing our preconceived notions and cultures and norms to the table when we're reading and interpreting the Bible. And you know, before we came on um, earlier, we were having this exact discussion about um, really taking an honest look at the Bible. And I think the word Mitch loves to use is the hermeneutical. <laughs> Hermeneutical approach. Which means what? Huh? Which means how one study how, how one you study the Bible. Study the Bible. And interpret and apply the Bible. And how the the weight of that and the responsibility of that that falls, you know, to those of us who who are trying to read and interpret and use it appropriately, not bringing our own our own opinions, our own lens to it. Yeah. And that's what I, Rocky, this specifically deals with uh, the LGBTQI plus community and that mistranslation uh, that has led to a lot of, you know, just terrible behavior on part of the church and Christians at large. But this is also part of the of demonstrating the importance of doing the hard work. And you mentioned, you know, these are lay people who are taking their faith seriously enough to really dig into the scriptures, in particular this one issue. But it's so important to get this right because, you know, a lot of times we hear this in the South a lot, that the Bible says it, therefore I believe it. Well, the reality is just because your Bible that you got in your hands says it may not be exactly what it is saying, uh, that there could be some misinterpretation in there. So this is not only a great demonstration of how we need to really rethink the entirety of the LGBTQI community, the inclusion of the church and the affirmation of people as who they are, but also how we look at Scripture. And this is just the brilliance of the documentary. Thank you. I feel that in our society, we're not really taking Scripture we're not really being honest in the way that we look at scripture because mm -hmm. you can't follow the Bible literally. You have to pick and choose which text you're going to uphold and, and, and use for your community and which ones you're going to marginalize. And we can see this happening all the time. Like some, why are some scriptures considered cultural and others are not. Mm -hmm. It's very, you know, you, you can prove text your, your way through whatever you want all day long, but at the end of the day, we all know that the New Testament demands us to give a holy kiss more often than anything else. <laughs> Just one example of many, but, you know, and there are many other awful examples, like sure. slavery, for one. The Bible absolutely supports slavery in all forms throughout the entire scriptures. Mm -hmm. and we are able to pick and choose and say, this is not right. This is not how we're meant to live. And this isn't what a Jesus way would be, you know, and so, it's just us being us picking and choosing and so we do have the power and we do have the choice to free us all from this abuse that does it hurts all of us whether you're lgbtq or christian or yeah. not the, these these things trickle out in harmful ways well said i think the the point where you're saying like it does hurt all of us and i think sometimes that that takes a little bit more unpacking for those who are kind of not 
the other in terms of whatever issue or, you know, space that we're talking about, it takes a minute to be like, oh, okay, now I see how this hurts us. And for the church, again, what we were talking about before, that has by and large in in many ways discouraged growth and knowledge, like what you were talking about. How do we decide what's cultural in the Bible versus what is truth, you know? And it, I feel like it's just, it's complacency. It's easy for the church as an institution to say, no, this is what we've decided. Therefore, this is what it is. It's too hard. It takes too much work to go back and fix that mistranslation. Can you imagine all the Bibles we'd have to reprint kind of thing? I'm just imagining the committee meetings involved and, and just something, you know, this major that has to be corrected. But I think the first thing that, that you're tackling is we have to own it. We have to acknowledge it. We have to recognize that this was a grave error and does need to be fixed. Yeah, there are Bibles and Bible translations and committees that you can look at. And that's one of the things we want to put in our workbook that we're working on. And there's uh, a biblical scholar who's a TikTok scholar now, Dan McClellan, who does a TikTok on which Bible to look at and why, Mm -hmm. you know, and so some of those things we want to include in our workbook so people can find a, a translation that is being more as close as we can to the original and not trying to superimpose our impressions onto into the text for a reason. And one of the ones that is highly recommended is the new revised standard updated edition, the right. 2022 edition. Yeah. And so, but there'll be more, I don't know them all by heart because I'm not a biblical <laughs> scholar. I'm just able and happy that I can put them in a collective area for y'all and try, and try to answer top questions that we get around this film and that's one of them yeah i think it's great just taking an honest look yeah being honest about it but i mean just going back to what we said just really doing the hard work and taking your faith seriously so many people you know take their faith literally but not seriously and so taking it seriously means that you have to do the kind of hard work that you're talking about looking at different translations looking at interpretations uh, you know looking at the totality of the canon and you know for those of us who call ourselves Jesus followers filtering all that through the person of Jesus Christ to whom you know we you know we call our, our Lord and you know and and base our ethical life uh, on his teachings and his example. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, this is, again, uh, this is a great film for many, many reasons. So, Rocky, another important theme I felt in this documentary is um, the story of the relationship you have with your father. Um, and, you know, as Mitch said in the introduction, he is, you know, non-affirming, he's a minister, and yet you two are together in much of this documentary. You interact so lovingly with him. Tell us, <laughs> those of us who, who have differing opinions with family members and when that gets tricky, tell us how you've managed to navigate that relationship and, and what that looks like. So one of the reasons we wanted to get my dad in the film, and I'm so grateful that he was in the film, was to provide an example for us on many different things, not only just how we do relationship with one another, but we're, this film is not gonna change everybody's mind. And we're not going to uh, agree on everything, but how are we communicating with one another? How are we dealing with one another? And it also, so for him to be in the film, gave him an opportunity and us an opportunity to hear to the other side to hear an authentic perspective around this and give an even playing field so that we can, you know, 
this is not a Hollywood movie. This is a documentary that is messy about real life and real people and a real mistranslation that I would say is a real mistranslation. And some people would say it's not. Um, so, but navigating that space with my dad was for both of us, I could imagine, painful, but also, again, encouraging because we get an opportunity to share our authentic perspectives about this that helped shift. But having to relive those moments, as you can imagine, is quite painful to be in that space. I know what, we knew what, what my dad, we, when I say we, the, my producer friend and I, Jenna Serbu, have been friends for many years. So, you know, uh, we knew what Sal was going to say in a lot of these situations. But I wanted to make myself open to showing that because I think it's for people to, you know, our story is not unique. It's unique to us, Sal and Rocky and, you know, Sharon, my birth name, whichever you want to call me is totally fine. But unfortunately, our situation is not unique. And so that then provides another example of people to maybe we can do better. And at least sometimes you have to talk about the weather, you know, mm -hmm. but at least you're in each other's lives. And yeah. then there is still room. One of the things we do mention in the film, then there is still room for influence. We can both be an influence in each other's life. Whether, however, that seeps in is dependent in different ways, you know, whatever. Well, it was yeah. so beautifully told and, and just, I don't know, I, I just, I loved that part of it. It was, I felt all the things probably you felt like it was difficult, painful, beautiful, you know, inspiring, all of those things all wrapped in. I love the rawness. I love the human story that, that you kind of wove in there. Yeah, because, I mean, Rocky, it could have been easy just to tell the 1946 story and to be an advocate for, you know, getting this translation right. You could have told that story, and it would have been a very, you know, inspiring uh, story, challenging story for us to, to watch and to experience. But then you brought the personal side into it as well and paralleled that along with this research and journey that you were on. And for me, that is what gave the film its soul. Uh, it was very educational, obviously. It was very inspiring as we came to the realization about this mistranslation. But the rawness and honesty of your relationship with your dad uh, really brought it home. It, it just it, it brought heart to it. Not to say other elements didn't have heart, but this just really humanized it for a lot of people, I think, uh, in the church these days. Yeah, no, thank you very much. And we were looking for a storyline to humanize it. Yeah. We didn't know it was going to be me or, and my dad. <laughs> and once my dad kept showing up and, you know, he's a preacher, it's not super hard to get a preacher to say yes to <laughs> uh, but once he said yes it was a great opportunity for us to at least manage that storyline a little bit more and when I say manage I mean as far as resources are concerned mm -hmm. filming ability and we don't have to travel anywhere you know like that kind of stuff and we know the story of more of me and my dad we know the intimacy there we know where that storyline can go but it also afforded us an opportunity to give me the position of narrator to mm. fill in some of those gaps and then help with the pacing of the film. Mm -hmm. And then to that end, we were able to kind of break the fourth wall. It also then brings in the viewing audience to be a part more, a little bit more of the journey. So, 
Well, we we just thoroughly enjoyed it. I like I said, I I told you in the beginning that as I have come across people and, and mentioned this film, it seemed like everybody knew about this. But the first question everybody has is, how can I see it? How can I see it? And I know you and I talked about a little bit in Oklahoma City, kind of the intricacies and and the limitations on the viewing. So, is there a way for our viewers to to view this or to see where it's going to be shown, um, or how can they find out more? Yes. Yeah, so right now we're still doing our virtual theatrical release while we're working on VOD and uh, streaming deals. So until we get on one of those streaming platforms, we want to make sure the movie is available to the public. So you can go to our website, 1946themovie.com, and there's a ticket button and you can get a virtual theatrical ticket and watch the movie at home. There's also a way that you can set up a watch party if you wanted to watch with friends. And there's a drop down menu with the suggested price and the tickets get less as the viewing parties get more, obviously. And so it encourages people to sit around in a group and discuss it together and rent the movie. And now we're getting really savvy where we can set it up where we can do a live broadcast with your group. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Live and do chats together. Yep. I'm learning now how to turn that into a live Zoom broadcast. So bear with us. We're working on that. But you can send us an email, 1946themovieinfo at gmail.com, and, or find that information in our linked tree, which is linked on our website and on our socials, where you can learn how to share the film with your community. That's what the document is typed on our linked tree list. Um, and then from there, you know, we are working on, on uh, streaming platforms. You can just be in your living room and find it a little easier without going through the computer. Right. And then we're working on, there are tons of people doing live events at churches. Canada, all over Canada, we have a dozen screenings going on right awesome. now. Wow. We're putting some screenings together for us. We're working with more international groups, so uh, overseas there'll be more opportunities. But in America, I did want to share that we're working on putting together a bus tour for four to six weeks to go around America to impacted areas with LGBTQ pushback and other types of pushbacks that we see Mm -hmm. for other types of human rights in our country and go to these communities and show the movie and talk about how the Bible has been weaponized and other ways to look at scripture but it's not necessarily a christian event this is an this is an american event on how we can look at religious oppression and religious institution um, abuse that we see in our society and how we can understand it know where it comes from and learn how to manage it so if anybody wants to help us get on that bus tour i'm putting a proposal together that's obviously going to cost some money uh, and or resources and communities. So there are many ways to get involved. If you can't financially get involved, I'm sure you can help us. Send us an email, 1946themovieinfo@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Well, I can tell you that Oklahoma might be a good stop on your bus tour. So if we can figure out a way to make that happen, we'll definitely show up for that. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm down. Let's talk. We'll sidebar. Well, yes. Uh, sounds great. Well, Rocky Rosio, thank you so much for joining us this week on Good Faith Weekly. The film is 1946, The Mistranslation That Shifted Culture. You can uh, take a look at it at their website. Uh, all of the information that Rocky shared today will be in the show notes. Uh, but I trust me, I've seen it twice. It is brilliantly Bragger. done. <laughs> it is brilliantly, brilliantly done. Well, Rocky, before we let you go, we ask one last question of all our guests, and you have the privilege of being the 200th guest to answer it. 
So, Rocky, as you know, our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of your work in our conversation today, what is your more to tell? More to tell. Well, there's always more. There's always more positivity. There's always more questions. There's always more answers. There's always more time. So sometimes we want things to happen quickly or we want something like these issues that we're dealing with in the film to happen overnight. And it doesn't happen overnight, but there's always more time and there's always more. So take a breath and take it easy and go with the more and you'll finally, you'll end up at your destination. Wow. What a way to I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. You're quite welcome. Thank you for having me. Missy, we've been looking forward to this interview for a long time. We have. We met Rocky back in September at the Free Mom Hugs uh, conference in Oklahoma City. And I mean, aside from the documentary, I just, I, I love, I'm, I'm fangirling. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, and we've kind of had it earmarked that we wanted to interview her and wanted to interview her and schedules finally aligned. And um, I, I mean, this film was for me mind-blowing in the sense that I understand that in growing up, I had been taught an interpretation of scripture mm -hmm. that maybe, basically there could be different interpretations. Right. What what kind of is mind-blowing to a lot of us in my context and, and people who'd grown up believing a, a certain thing is that this says, this isn't necessarily, I'm putting words in her mouth. What I'm saying is, it's not like you can interpret this one way or that another way. Right. This is navy blue versus dark blue. It's I'm saying this is a mistranslation. Yep. And that to me is really eye-opening for someone who's a person of faith to really step back and say, "Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. How did this happen and where else has it happened?" Yeah. So you can take it from there. I'm not <laughs> qualified to go beyond that point uh, in the conversation. <laughs> well, one of the things about this documentary that really spoke to me were really two things that stood out. The first was about just the issue itself. And I contend that the Bible is a Bible of inclusion. It is a Bible at its very essence. Jesus put it the best, love God and love your neighbor. The immediate question afterward is, who is your neighbor? As far as I interpret the, read the Bible, interpret the Bible, is that in the Jewish tradition that Jesus advocates for, everybody's your neighbor. Mm -hmm. And they should be welcomed and affirmed for who they are and taken care of just because they are a child of God. And so the issue itself is important to me. I believe that our LGBTQI plus community are born exactly the way God intended them to be. And as a fellow human being, my job is not to judge them or to... Or anyone, or who, any, who, has, anyone. who has been othered for whatever reason. Right, because they are a human being born in this uniqueness, like, unique likeness of God. And therefore... My job is simply to welcome them, be hospitable, be affirming of them, and in the words of Jesus, love them. So any interpretation of the Bible that suggests an exclusion of a people. We need to look at. Or a condemnation 
of a people just for who they are, I think is an incorrect translation of the text and a misapplication of the Bible as a whole. So the story talks about the misinterpretation of two Greek words in 1 Corinthians 6-9 and how the committee that was putting together the New Revised Standard Version of Scripture mistranslated them. And the story is wonderful for many reasons. One, we have this young seminarian writing this letter to them in, from Canada, you know, telling them, hey, you got this one wrong. And the committee pretty much admitting, mm-hmm. you're right, we did. But obviously, the books were already, the, the Bibles were already printed. In the meantime, yeah, the yeah. toothpaste was already out of the tube. Exactly, exactly. And as my youth minister told me, once you get the toothpaste out of the tube, you can't really get it back in. <laughs> did you have that analogy in youth group? I did. There's so many things we could unpack there, but I let's, mean... <laughs> we would digress. <laughs> oh my goodness. So yeah, the issue itself is particular. This, and I was actually introduced to this mistranslation years ago in a book by Ben Worthington or Witherington, who was a New Testament scholar. And it was called, uh, returning back to Corinth. Mm-hmm. And it was looking at these texts. And uh, Witherington made the argument even back then that this particular passage was not dealing with the concept of homosexuality because it was foreign to the biblical writers, Paul in this instance, and readers. The, just, the word didn't exist. What it was really talking about was what was happening in the bathhouses in Corinth. Mm-hmm. where abuses were taking place by powerful men against young boys, and they were raping them. Mm-hmm. And that is what Paul is condemning in these texts. Now, there are other texts, obviously, that we've got to deal with, but again, I think we have to filter that through the criterion of Jesus Christ, his understanding of the world, his the- theology, Uh, that he advocated for, and that is one of love and inclusion. And so the issue itself was very intriguing to me. As we talked about with Rocky, there's also this hermeneutical uh, filter that we're working this documentary through. And I said it in the intro uh, earlier that I've had to come to the conclusion that I take the Bible seriously, but not literally. Mm -hmm. And I think that is an important delineation for people who are serious about their faith. It is easy to read a text and to apply that text literally to the world. It is much more difficult to take the text seriously, to look at it from a critical nature, to see what exactly is this text saying You have to do the hard study, the hard research, and then eventually make a decision with the notion that you could be wrong. Wait, what? (laughs) And that's that's difficult for for people because we want to think there is this, this baseline of truth. And I think there is a baseline of truth, but I also always have to remember that I am filtering that truth through my fallible understanding of the world and scripture. So like we talked about, I think a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago with Jill Hicks Keaton about her book. Um, I think it was that conversation. This came up about 
Um, the fact that the, and, and again, Rocky mentioned it in our interview today about what the Bible never actually condemning slavery. Right. But we as a culture, I mean, yeah. again, I'm going to put all sorts of asterisks on this. I know it still exists in some places in the world today and it's terrible, but as a whole, you know, we say, okay, we know that's wrong, mm-hmm. um, but the Bible never conven- condemns it. So to my understanding, again, send the emails to Mitch at goodfaithmedia.org. <laughs> um, but we have somehow come to this conclusion. And that would be, to me, an example, correct me if I'm wrong, of reading the Bible and taking it seriously, but not literally. And I guess, again, to open another can of worms in probably a too long episode, I mean, maybe the same, I mean, I guess the same could be said about abortion. Those who say, you know, abortion is wrong, that you have to, again, use that seriously. And also, the Bible doesn't condemn that. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't. Yeah, so. and there's a lot of allegorizing of the text. And what I mean by that is that there's a lot of reading of the text, such as in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, where it says, you know, God knew you before you came into the world. He formed you in your mother's womb and all that. Well, that's that's a beautiful, poetic way of understanding, you know, the way God works. Kind of like the beautiful poetic nature of creation. It doesn't make it scientific. But we can open that can of worms <laughs> later. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, to me, that that is where the Bible oftentimes is misinterpreted and misapplied. And again, what I think for many, many years the church has been guilty of and the church is still guilty of is what is... Def- what is referred to as cherry picking text to start with an idea, a political agenda or a theological agenda, and then use proof, proof, proof text. text to support that idea. Well, but, okay. This is weird. Cause it's, I mean, that's kind of the way we were taught in school. If you're writing your research paper, you, you develop your thesis and go find proof text yeah. to support that. And so in a way that's what the church has done as well. And it's easier, quite frankly. And and well, we are as humans just just drawn to the path of least resistance. And so when somebody says this is the way it is, we're like, all right. Okay. So that is an excellent, excellent point that I think we could camp out on. We may need an entire episode dedicated to that, maybe two hundred and twenty five. But <laughs> <laughs> but for example, growing up, take it out of the biblical context, take it out of the faith realm when we were studying history in elementary school, junior high, and high school. Wait, you studied? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You began with the premise with America is great. Right. And then you crafted a narrative to support that greatness of our country. Right. Well, then all of a sudden, you really begin to dive into the overall narrative of the story. It's like, America, is it? really that great once you became exposed to little by little as i did actual things that happened um really what makes america great has been its ability to look in the mirror and say we're not great right but we're striving for a more perfect Perfect union union. and that is such a key phrase so why can't we take that same mentality and discipline and apply it to scripture. I've often said, if God returned today, if Jesus, 
the, the skies opened and Jesus walked the earth again, how disappointed would he be that we have not grown in our faith? That it seems like the premise behind everything we do is to get back to that first century. That's asinine. Well, but the first century was about expanding the table. Yes. And that's what we that's what we think. And to expand the table, we have to expand also our knowledge of God, our knowledge of theology. We're challenged to grow and to be, and this is again, again, don't want to open up a can of worms here. This is the difference between a theology of conversion and a theology of theology of wholeness. We're always searching to become more whole, knowing that we always fall a little bit short, which fits into really nicely that, you know, we've all fallen short of the glory of God narrative, that we're searching to be better. We're searching to be the best human beings that God has created us to be. And that we're not ever going to arrive but it does like not stop us from trying. No, we do need to try. Right. And so that, to me, just lends itself to widening the tent, widening the table, never constricting it. I 100% agree. So how many cans of worms have we opened in this little outro? I feel like lots. Yeah. Yeah, lots. and But nobody has that long of a commute. So <laughs> That's right. Maybe we should put yeah. a pin in all of these. Absolutely. Well... Speaking of trying to get it right, and yet we continue to fail, I hate to make this shift, but it has to be made. At the time of our recording this week, the news broke that another mass shooting occurred here in the United States. During a time that should have been a time of celebration, a time of joy and laughter and you know, the fulfillment of the city of Kansas City winning a Super Bowl. Shots fired. Mm-hmm. Death, injury because of gun violence. And this is one of the topics that we continue to talk about at Good Faith Weekly and cover at Good Faith Media is trying to get this right and there is a huge resistance to trying to get this right there's too much money involved too much money involved but also too much preconceived idea of what makes this country great true and what is biblical and we've got to continue fighting against that mindset And so that's why we show up every week to do what we do. And our hearts break for the victims. Again, at the time of this recording, there's been one death, 22 injured. Yes, we have very few details. Very few details of what has happened. What we do know is that there was a mass shooting and a loss of life, many injured. And so I don't want to go out on a, a sad note, but this is why we do what we do. And it's a reminder after 200 episodes, this is the importance, not only of what we do at Good Faith Weekly and Good Faith Media, but why the listeners need to continue advocating for a inclusive and just gospel in their communities. Mm -hmm. Because there's so much injustice in the world that is bringing about this pain and this darkness. And only they can spread the light and bring justice into this world. So, 
Keep working. Keep working. Absolutely. So, well, we wanted to mention that again, our hearts go out to all the victims, the city of Kansas City that should be celebrating and now... They should be celebrating Taylor Swift's win. Come on. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's exactly right. So... Uh, so again, our hearts go out to the entire city of uh, of Kansas City, and uh, we want to thank our listeners for staying around Hanging for, for two hundred episodes. episodes. High five! High five! Hey, oh, we missed. We did We're miss. <laughs> Sorry, don't put that in clip. Wait, wait. High five! <laughs> uh, so one last thing before we sign off. It's Valentine's week. Oh, it is. And Ash Wednesday. Oh, so, it is. <laughs> <laughs> same day. <laughs> So, doesn't feel right to wish you a happy Ash Wednesday. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Keep living good faith. <laughs> <laughs> Keep living good faith. But happy Valentine's oh, Day. Appreciate I kind of like you. you. I mean, you know, we're we're back we're back together, so it's good. <laughs> That's <laughs> <For now>. right. <laughs> so, well, thank you so much, listeners, for hanging in with us for 200 episodes. Uh, we. Find it. We just. It's a privilege to come to you every week. We we don't do. We can't do this without you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Looking forward to two hundred more. Oh, geez, help it. Sort of <laughs> help me, Jesus. <laughs> All right. Until next week. Keep living. Good faith. You've been listening to Good Faith Weekly, hosted by Mitch and Missy Randall. This weekly podcast from Good Faith Media discusses matters of faith and culture. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast and give us a like and a glowing review. We produce the podcast out of Norman, Oklahoma. Our music comes from Pond 5. And we're supported by listeners like you. Learn more about us at goodfaithmedia.org.